from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Harris is at the top of the key. One to shoot. Brown three. Got it! Brown with a three. Fading away. And Kansas stretches the lead to 71 seconds to play. 13 to shoot. Love dribbling. Gets the screen. Three. Top of the key. Oh, he got it! Caleb Love gives North Carolina the four-point lead. Racing. Hold on. Three. No good. Rebound. Carolina. And the fairy tale ride for the Tar Heels continues. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday. Cofield and company, Steve Cofield. Willie is here as the company. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota studios. Busy day, following up. An excellent Final Four, at least I thought so. Maybe there's going to be some griping about it. Here on this Monday, we've got Masters Week. Uh, Major League Baseball is opening up with opening day. More stuff uh, potentially with the A's after another ridiculous trade. Over the weekend, Las Vegas A's, Las Vegas A's, soon to be. I uh, hope not, hope not. And uh, we'll set you up for the title game tonight. Six twenty tip, uh, elongated pregame show right here from Westwood One on ESPN Las Vegas. We'll even get into the uh, ladies' title game yesterday. Willie, how you doing, buddy? Oh, you know, I, I could be a little better. I, I I may or may not be a little upset with you. But, you know, what's the problem? Well, you know. You were nowhere to be found last week. Uh, you know, you well, once I came around the studio and everything, you kind of disappeared on me. And now, you know, we were supposed to maybe possibly meet up today, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. So, Ari, do you – can you explain to him why, please? Just – do you have that audio set for me? You're, you're hating on me. You're I'm hating on you. What is our bet for Duke? Because I'm not winning another bet and not getting paid. It's simple, right? I can't remember. Oh, was. come on! I don't – I swear I don't remember. We make the Final Four, right? Oh, no. No, you're right. But now they're in the same practice as Gonzaga. But, but no, you're right. I'm backing out of it. Right. I couldn't remember what it was. And we're doing a meal, right? So Duke makes the Final Four. You win. They don't make the Final Damn. Four. I win. Terms have been locked in. Terms have been locked in. And you're not going to bet and not get paid. Those are the two big statements you made. Right. And you lost. And now I think you're avoiding me. That's all. But that's all right. Were you expecting? Well, first of all. Kind of a weird day to bring it up because Duke got knocked out of the Final Four. Uh, secondly, were you expecting your dinner tonight during the game? No, it's just that Ari and I were having fun at your expense and said, let's just do it right right away and just, you know, start you the show. Snuck it in. So, yes. You snuck it in. I actually, yes. Because you know, you know me, pull the audio. I booked a late trip to get out of town fearing what would happen in the Final Four. I just wanted to be out, gone, so I couldn't get mocked on. I can't take the heat. I can't take the heat. Well, uh, we'll give a little heat towards – Duke in a couple of minutes and also um, some maybe some friendly fire back at people who hate Coach K because I thought that was that was kind of crazy over the weekend. But and unnecessary. Duke, Duke winds up losing, but the yeah. Carolina Duke game, and believe me, I was getting sick to my stomach beforehand, pumping it up. You know, college basketball needs this. College basketball needs a villain. There's plenty of villains. These are two gigantic name programs. The game turned out to be freaking awesome. Back and forth, 
And I'll admit, I was rooting against Duke. Um, it, for me, it's hard to root for North Carolina. Like, there's some sort of, you know, underdog or darling or sympathetic team. But uh, the game was awesome. And to me, college basketball is all about showcasing the players. And I thought the players on the North Carolina side, who a lot of people don't know, but they're top-level recruits, those guys came out and delivered big time. And I, I actually I enjoy the Kansas-Villanova game a lot because Kansas came out shooting the ball on fire, and I think there's a lot of people around the country who hadn't watched Kansas play a whole lot, and I got a real appreciation for Kansas and the kind of basketball they're playing and the kind of coaching that self did. So I thought, you know, B plus, uh, even though the Kansas game against Villanova really didn't get super close, I thought B plus, maybe even an A. The, the Carolina Duke game was an awesome game. Yeah, I don't think that you could have scripted it any better considering the teams involved and the rivalry we're talking about. Because when you talk about college basketball rivalry, when you say to anybody, I don't care who you are, whether you like Duke or Coach K or not, when you say college basketball rivalry, it's like saying college football rivalry, Michigan, Ohio State, Army, Navy, you know, Notre Dame, USC. I mean, it's Duke, North Carolina is the very first thing you think of when you're talking college basketball rivalry. End of story. And for the game to go the way that it did, for the storyline that was, you know, well beyond imagination with Coach K and his farewell tour and the fact that um, North Carolina won the regular season finale, the fact that both teams won on each other's court, the fact that he was 50 and 49 lifetime against North Carolina um, just goes to show how this series has been for his career um, going back to the first championship he won in 1991. Kansas knocks off North Carolina in the final four meets Duke, which beat UNLV. That was the first chance they had to play against one another. And then it doesn't happen. And then the second time North Carolina ends his career before he has a chance to play Duke, to play Kansas once again, for his final championship, I mean, and the way that the, the game went, like you said, I mean, it was just, it was overall, it was fantastic. As for Kansas, you know, we're going to get into this as we as we progress and talk about this game tonight. But, you know, you just, one of the things you have to wonder is, do you, I mean, not officially put an asterisk, but in your mind, considering Villanova's missing one of its top players, um, and, and I think that that disallowed Villanova to make some offensive runs and contend and keep up with the way Kansas played. But I, I think we're in store for a really good game tonight. Kansas tonight, uh, I think the pressure is on Kansas because, as you just suggested, maybe the run they've had is a little bit easier. This Carolina team wasn't expected to be in the final. They're loaded with talent, but they were an eight seed. And, you know, Bill Self is one of those guys in that category where he's made a bunch of Final Fours but hasn't won a bunch of national titles. Now, that said, it's not easy to win a bunch of national titles, but this is such a golden opportunity for an experienced Kansas team that was expected to go to the Final Four as a one seed against an eight seed. They need to win this. They need to win this for the players who are outgoing and for self. This is a legacy maker. I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be destitute in three years if he doesn't win the national title here, but when you look back on careers and, hell, one of the greatest coaches at the at the, the head of the I think the best program for, you know, 30 years, and it continues. Um, Smith only won two. Um, and you've had some you've had some great all-time coaches go to a bunch of Final Fours and only win one. So, Self needs to go out there and 
and take care of business. All right, quick time out. We're going to get into what happened with the Golden Knights over the weekend. Really good weekend as VGK made their own breaks, got wins, got the streak going, took care of business at Seattle, got some breaks elsewhere, and uh, there were some crazy, crazy moments in this win over Vancouver. And uh, Robin Leonard, Robin Leonard, he's back, baby. But for how long? Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Black on the right wing. Crossover dribble against Griffin. Gets into the paint. Dishing Manic. Three left side. Got it. Oh, Manic. Ice water in the veins. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Player four, North Carolina. Brady Manick. We'll get back to more of what happened with North Carolina and Duke. Duke bounce. Coach K's career is over. I enjoyed that part of it, but I thought it got a little over the top as the uh, day and evening went along with Coach K. We got a final game set up. Kansas, North Carolina, two of the Blue Bloods of college basketball, obviously tied together because of Roy Williams coaching at both spots and playing at North Carolina. Game goes down a little after six. We've got a a big pregame coming up, national pregame in the 4 o'clock hour around 4.30. So that's why we're on a little early today. We'll go 2 to 4.30 here on Cofield and company. What a massive weekend, Willie. This could have been a freaking disaster. Starting with the second Kraken game onto the Canucks game. But the Knights got it done, and they got it done in the second game with high drama. Yeah, I mean, they, and, and the thing is, is it, it, it amazes me with how this team – Whatever this team does on a five-game win streak now, however it's winning, a lot of people are critical of how they're winning or if one person's doing it for them. Well, if it wasn't for this person, if it wasn't for that. This is the time of the year where this is how you're supposed to win hockey games. You asked this about Pete DeBoer, you know, at the beginning of the season or during the quote-unquote bubble playoffs, you know, or not the bubble playoffs, but the uh, shortened season right? The truncated season. And it was uh, the fact that this team would win different ways, high scoring games, low scoring games, grinded out games, no matter who you're playing, doesn't matter whether it's a playoff team or not, they're going to be challenged in different ways. And it's a matter of being able to step up and win the games the way that we're seeing them win them, whether it's been with Logan Thompson, whether it's being with uncharacteristic scorers. Um, I will admit the strange with Evgeny Dadnoff, that's obviously not something that you necessarily want to have your team go through. But right now, Shea Theodore has played the hero with some game-winning goals a few games in a row. Robin Leonard returns. Point is, they're winning the way they're supposed to be winning, getting it done. I love hearing the highlights, so let's hear a Petrangelo goal to start things off, get the Knights out to a one nothing start. Vegas wins a left circle draw. Petrangelo scores! He snuck it inside the right post. Wow! Threading the needle, Petrangelo got the puck from Jack Eichel, went wide of the right dot and found just enough of an opening. And Vegas takes the lead, one zip, Petrangelo's 13th goal of the season. Then it was Marcheseau from deep to uh, get them out to a 2-0 lead in the first period. Marcheseau gobbles it up, comes down the middle, he pulls and shoots, he scores! Jonathan Marcheseau, 28th goal of the season. A new Golden Knights tie for Jonathan. Vegas leads 2-0. And then Willie thinks changed in the second and third period, did it not? Because uh, the Knights got out to a, just a freaking hot as a pistol start in the first with a massive shot differential. But the Canucks fought hard, 
Second and the third. No, they did. And when they change is, you know, the Canucks started fighting their way back. And you got to remember, the Canucks are not in – they're not out of it yet. So they're still playing for something. And the second goal, though, that went by Robin Leonard, he did not expect – he didn't even think that that was taking place. He didn't expect that to happen, and uh, which we're going to hear in just a minute. So I, I like the way the Golden Knights responded, and I think that – you have to expect, as I said before, even a team like Seattle, even a team that's not even close to being into the playoff race, or a team that's like Vancouver that's somewhat you know, close to being eliminated, playing their absolute best. Because every team is playing for a reason at this point in time. Seattle Kraken, they're basically looking to prove themselves and play against Whoever comes in that they can, especially at their place, with the energy that that brings. I know some of the guys that went up there, they wrote about the uh, the uh, pregame entertainment. They talked about um, how the energy level has been there. The hockey fans that have sort of received the Kraken the same way Vegas did in its inaugural season. So they're looking to sort of play in a in a in a motivated manner against their fellow expansion team, right? Um, and then, like I said, with Vancouver, Vancouver was not going to just roll over and die at home against a team that it's chasing in uh, the Western Conference. I mean, everybody's in this Western Conference wildcard race. Remember, the top three in each division make it. But from there, you're in a wildcard race. And right now, Vegas and Dallas are neck and neck. Vancouver is chasing Vegas. So they weren't just going to roll over and let Vegas dominate this entire game. Canucks get it to 2-1 in the third. Knights are holding on, you know, getting towards the 10-minute uh, mark to close out the game. And then, well, Alec Martinez tries to clear a faceoff. And, uh, uh-oh, Leonard doesn't see it. Puck goes on goal and in right from the draw. Martinez reached for the loose puck, and he tipped it by Leonard. It's a tie game. Then, at the very end of regulation, the Canucks almost scored again. That was damn close. Overtime opens up, and the Canucks, like within a split second, have a freaking rush at the net. <laughs> it's the last thing that you want, too. And it's it's somewhat, in a sense, like what happened with that, uh, the faceoff that you're talking about, where Martinez, you know, he accidentally deflects it. Which, by the way, can we just say that I'm on the side of where we should have, especially for fantasy players, there should be own goal stats where it's marked against you. And let's say you're playing hockey fantasy. Uh, that would go against you if you're playing that particular player on your team. Um, so, but that was off of a face-off. And the same thing here, off of a face-off, sort of misplayed. And all of a sudden you look up and the Canucks are, you know, they, they get a breakaway opportunity. And it's up to Robin Leonard to make a big save. And, you know, for the most part, for this being his first game back after several undisclosed, we don't know what's wrong, ready to come back, leaves the practice from the ice. I mean, Robin Leonard's injury is just mounting. For a guy who steps on the ice for the first time in game action, I thought for the most part he looked good. In reality, he let one goal in because I think that the own goal against Alec Martinez, that was on him. That's not – you can't hold Leonard. He was in position to make – to, to play the puck the way that the, the draw went, and Martinez screwed that up. So for the most part, I thought Robin Leonard played well last night. Overtime begins. Horvat in alone. Kick saved by Leonard. Theodore with a terrible gaffe. Led directly to Horvat coming down the middle. 
and he could not get it by. Knights recovered just a couple minutes later. Uh, awesome breakout started by Marshy. Good pass, and I thought the collection of this one by Shea Theodore was awesome as he finishes the game. It's a three-on-one. Marcheseau with Carlson and Theodore. Marcheseau to the middle. Theodore scores! Vegas in overtime! Shea Theodore wins it for Vegas. An appropriate hero in Vancouver. The Knights defeat the Canucks 3-2. Three, three goals in three games for Shea Theodore. He wins it for the Knights. They've won five in a row. Yeah, and these are massive because they've had multiple spots like this, Willie, where they've either given up a lead or come back in dramatic fashion and pushed it to overtime. And more often than not, they've got the two points. The one point at this point would be debilitating because the teams they're competing with for the wild card, the Knights have played three more games. So these these other teams have three games with an opportunity right, and- to gain more points. So the Knights freaking, especially, you know, not really controlling your own destiny when they've, you don't want to go to overtime in the first place, but when you do go to overtime, you got to get it. And that was, that was freaking clutch. And like I said, great collection of the puck because that was not an easy pass to uh, get, settle, and then be able to get it in the net. Brilliant job by Shea Theodore. Well, and the thing, you know, to that point about collecting points, you know, with, with against teams that have uh, games in hand, Adam brought up the, the, the a great point uh, last week when we were on the air in that Vegas has to worry more about catching Edmonton and Los Angeles. Um, right now, Vegas is three points back of Edmonton, four points back of L.A., okay? Um, they're they're considerably back of Calgary by seven. So Calgary's got 89, LA 86, Edmonton 85, Vegas 82. If you focus on those teams and just continue to win and look for those numbers, you're going to climb into that top three in the Pacific Division if one of them fall off. If you, um, I can't remember who they played. I believe they got Edmonton left on the slate because they uh, Edmonton's the only one that has a game in hand on LA and Vegas. Vegas and, L- and LA have each played 71. Edmonton's played 70. It's the wild card race and the guys in the central, the teams in the central that have several games in hand from um, COVID stoppages earlier in the season. So this is why it's important for Vegas to stay focused on those teams in their division and, and, and just playing their game. They have a collection of games. I mean, I think they play Vancouver four times and they've never lost in the history of this franchise. They've never lost in regulation to Vancouver. I believe they're now 10 0 and two, I want to say. So, you know, they, they have the opportunities to continue to win against teams they should be beating. And, and if they continue to play well, continue to get healthy, and if they have the rotation between Leonard and Thompson, which we're going to talk about, um, I think that this team could get in the top three and rid themselves of the wild card worry against those teams that have games in hand from the Central Division. Coming up, Dave Koken's going to break things down with the Golden Knights in about 20 minutes, but uh, we'll get back to what happened over the weekend with the Final Four as Coach K is out. I know a lot of Rebel fans were happy about that. I know a lot of uh, Vegas media was happy about that. And we'll set you up for the title game, uh, especially on the North Carolina side, because this is a hell of a story. And a guy in Hubert Davis who played at North Carolina, and uh, it felt like at the time uh, there were more people in the North Carolina, Carolina community who actually wanted Wes Miller as the head coach over Hubert Davis. And look at him now. He's in the final. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. 
Now, back to Cofield and Company. And I just wondered if sometime in the next 48 hours or maybe after the season's over, will you watch it? Did you record it? And the chances of me watching it are less than zero. Well, it's a game of inches at the same time, so those simple things yeah. are not always so simple. It is a, it's a game of inches, ask the Cox. And they're taking those inches. You, you know, Do you take those inches? <laughs> absolutely. When you're on the court... <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to the women's title game. That was decided yesterday. South Carolina over Gino Oriema and UConn. I guess they tried to do a Manning-type thing where they put Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi together. And then uh, Megan Rapino was in with them, a bunch of other uh, star basketball players. Were in with them, and uh, we got, I guess, ha-has about wieners and, you know, so it's good stuff. It was. Uh, I, did, did you watch any of it or no? Zero. I agreed with Gino Oriama. I I watched the game. Um, I don't see. Here's the thing. I watched it both. I watched them on Saturday and or uh, Friday and Sunday. Sorry, go ahead. For me, I don't know enough about these teams in women's basketball to not watch the regular broadcast. So I want to learn from the regular broadcast, and I really want to watch the game. Um, gotcha. And I watched a good portion of the game, but we'll get to that in the three o'clock hour. I just I I'll build on this. I found the 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 some of the content. That's what we got. Um, a little bit interesting from Sue Bird, but especially Diana Taurasi. So, Coach K is out. His career is done. Lots of people dancing on his grave. I'll say this. First of all, Willie, from a basketball standpoint, I didn't think he coached a great game, uh, but I'm not sure it was all his fault. I mean, the buck stops there, but Paolo Bancaro was easily the best player on the floor unstoppable unstoppable and then with 10 minutes left in the game he just never got the ball and when he did get the ball he wanted to play facilitator and i didn't get it i'll put some blame on the player you know kind of shrunk in the moment and it's nice to say hey you know what he was helping out his teammates but he was so unstoppable i think he could have i i think he should have been more aggressive throughout the game like he almost looked hesitant to destroy Brady Manick, which, which he was doing every time he put the ball on the floor and got it. Keep in mind, if Ben Carroll's more aggressive, I think they get better shots down the stretch when they took some really bad shots in the final two minutes. And I also believe that there's a good chance that Manick's not around to make big shots down the stretch because he fouls out of the game. I just I didn't understand why Ben Carroll got quiet. And like I said, I think part of it is on him. He's a young guy. You know, you don't want to be selfish. But in this case, there are certain guys who you know they're going to the NBA. They're so much better than everyone else on the floor. When And those guys are – there's plenty of other professional basketball players. Like, Duke is going to have several pro basketball players, NBA players. North Carolina will have some as well. But he was so much better. Dude, just take over the game. Take over the game. And then that's where I put some blame on Coach K. Like, you've you got to get it through the kids – and the kid, Ben Caro, in some timeouts down the stretch. This is your time, brother. You're our guy. Get Brady Manick off the floor. You're destroying him. He has no answers for you defensively. You're going to win this for us. But that never happened. 
No, and I think that because they somewhat played their hand a little bit, I I don't I don't know if this is worded properly, but I felt like Hubert Davis outcoached Coach K because Coach K didn't coach enough, if that makes sense. Krzyzewski didn't, as you said, he didn't do enough to make the adjustment. He sort of just let the players formulate what they were doing. And I had this conversation at breakfast yesterday with somebody who, you know, uh, what is not a fan of Hubert Davis for whatever reason. And I just said, yeah, well, he got outcoached, and he was stunned that I was saying that. How could he get coached, outcoached by – or how could he outcoach someone like Mike Krzyzewski? He was like, well, because he made the right calls down the stretch to use his lineup properly and sort of just take it to Duke the way that they did. And I don't feel like Duke did enough. I don't feel like they played their game. I don't feel like we saw the type of Duke that – going back to earlier this year, in, and I go to that game only because I was there, but against Gonzaga – you know, they they it was a it was a back and forth affair in the first half. Gonzaga comes out in the start of the second half, takes control, and then Duke made the right adjustments, did what they had to do, shut down um, certain players, and then finished them off. I don't think that they ever had that killer instinct and did that. And where North Carolina did those to- sorts of things down the stretch to keep Duke at arm's length and then put the dagger in and pull out the win. And I think and that I that, that's a credit to Hubert Davis. Yeah, I know I'm oversimplifying it by saying, you know, you got to get the ball to Ban Carroll, make sure your best player has the ball. But on the flip side, Carolina did. Carolina did. You know, R.J. Davis and especially Caleb Love and their guards. But they and had you the ball. got to credit North Carolina. They, had the, ball, they had the ball when it counted most. They had the ball when it counted most. They had the ball when it counted most. And Ban Carroll kind of slid into the background. So uh, for me, that was a, you know, that's not a great way for Coach K to go out. Uh, North Carolina doing it is epic. I mean, they, that's an all-timer. They get to hold on that, hold on to that for a freaking long, long, long time. And as I said a couple minutes ago, I think that the uh, the fact that Hubert Davis, who I, I think half the fan base wanted Wes Miller, who's at Cincinnati, um, the fact that Hubert Davis has them in the final is freaking awesome. Now, the irrational hate of Coach K, I get it. Like I didn't, I never liked Coach K. I hated Duke. Maybe it's the fact that I've just gotten older and maybe I've matured, which is laughable because I haven't. But I kind of felt like watching the game. Like I'm rooting against the guy, but I'm like he's he's an old dude. I don't need to freaking pound him on this. But some people can't let go of it. So and I thought a lot of the backslapping for because the, the thing with with Coach K and what like you you actually have people out there who are like yeah not a great coach like. He he went to thirteen Final Fours. He won five titles. Right. He's not he's not a good coach because then people immediately turn to, well, look at the teams he had. Look at all the talent he had. He should have done that. Well, that that then 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 Dean Smith sucked. Dean Smith won two. Bill Self has one. He sucks. I mean, you could say that about most elite coaches outside most of any coach outside of John Wooden. It's hard to win these things. Yeah, look, at the, look at look at the guy. I'm not making excuses for. Coach K, but look at look at all the small plays in the game that make a freaking difference. Well, wait the a minute. amazing shots that are made or shots that just fall short. There was weird stuff that actually, in the end, it didn't kill. Actually, you know, one of the plays did kill him. Um, wasn't there? There was a Bancaro save where he saved it underneath the basket. He threw it, unfortunately, right to Baycott. 
Baycott gets fouled, it's a three-point play. I mean, that's almost a margin of the game. And if you go back in history, there are moments in whatever Duke failures. And again, I'm not here to defend Coach K because I, I finding you know I find him a sniveling pain in the ass. But I mean, we just we get so ridiculous in all sports with. You know, they only won one. He didn't win enough. Look at the talent he has. Because the flip side of the Duke thing that's amazing is how many people will point out that somehow Coach K really didn't do his job because when his players go to the NBA, many of them are just flops. But then they want to judge the rosters based on the fame of the players at the time. So which one is it? What matters? And is he supposed to go 13 for 13 in Final Fours winning titles? It's not. I'm sorry, folks. But it's not women's basketball. The depth in men's basketball is amazing. Listen. I mean, Gino Oriama, those, Gino Oriama was in his 12th freaking final. I think, he, what has he been to, like 23 final fours? Right? He's, he's, his 12th final. Before this game, he got 11-0 and in finals. That's not men's basketball. Sorry. Anyone who says that Coach K can't coach, or they say, well, he only won five, because and look at the talent, he should have won more. Okay, there was a point in time. God rest his soul, when he was alive, Jerry Tarkanian was the winningest college basketball coach percentage-wise. He only okay. won one title, and he been to four Final Fours. And he they lost don't play the in a, play a big enough conference. Like the Gonzaga crap now. But Tark, right. Tark so, got this. Tark look at all the talent he, he didn't that, win enough. that UNLV had. So, you don't want and, – and, you know, people that are saying that he can't coach, they're just – those are the true blue haters that – probably don't know enough about or, or don't care enough about college basketball to appreciate that we need a guy like him. We need he like we talked about how we need a villain. We need him. We need we need people like that. So you have people to point at. So, you know, just like Duke fans need the Dean Smith and the Hubert Davis and the Roy Williamses to point their finger at to dislike, you know, in that country in down in, in Carolina and Duke country, they don't like certain coaches. All the ACC coaches, so on and so forth. But this is a guy who has, you know, helped mold and shape college basketball for the last 30-plus years. And, hello, was the coach of USA Basketball. After USA Basketball was embarrassed, how many years ago, and then brought them back. You don't just pick anybody because they can't coach. To put together to, to coach the personalities, especially off the dream team that Chuck Daly took to Barcelona and follow through and bring back life to that collection of all stars. You don't just grab anybody because, you know, you, they're, well, just get anybody because you can coach that. No, you have to blend those personalities because those other countries are coming at them. Coach K knows how to coach, whether you like him, whether you hate him. Coach K is good for basketball, was good for basketball. He, Like I said, he helped shape college basketball. And now his career is over, and all you haters can move. And you know what? People that are North Carolina fans, they're about to relish in this next era because North Carolina is going to dominate that rivalry for a while. You're going to see how much Coach K was needed for that program because I'm not sure how much Duke continues to dominate the way that it did, or how long it's going to take to get back to a consistent dominating pattern like it's been. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. He 
he gives no Fs, and that's why you love him. It's Dave Koken on Cofield and Company. Koken's in here on a Monday. Willie Cofield already back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Doing fine. Looking forward to uh, the big game tonight, the Angels and Dodgers in the Freeway Series. Uh, anything else, son? Yeah. Uh, we got Masters coming hockey. up, so we can uh, we can talk about that. We got all the hockey as well. Koken's with us. Let's go back to uh, what we were just talking about, and Willie, and especially me, in a weird position where we're actually defending Coach K and his career. Now, I want to get into the game a little bit because I didn't think he coached a great game, but what do you think when you hear people bash on Coach K? Are they right? Is he not a great X's and O's coach? Did he underachieve by only winning five national titles? I don't know. I mean, I, I, here's the thing. Um, if we're talking hockey or baseball, I think I can break down X's and O's with anybody. I'd be lying through my teeth if I said I could break down X's and O's in basketball. I don't have the expertise from a technical standpoint in that game. So I've never found uh, the desire to degrade anybody on X's and O's in basketball, because I don't know what I'm talking about as far as that goes. So I don't think I can give you a good answer to that. And I'll tell you what else. 99% of your audience can't either. They're full of crap. Okay, because most people don't know the X's and O's of basketball. Why do you think there are so many gambling people who think he's a crappy coach? I, I don't know. Is there some is there some correlation to, to those folks thinking they're X's and O's experts? You know, I think what it comes down to is, is that Gamblers have a tendency to follow other gamblers. So if they see an opinion or read an opinion that they that's from someone they like, they just use the same words. Um, that's one of the things I found on Twitter over the years is the incredible amount of followers, not, not in terms of individual followers or something like that, but in terms of just people basically stealing other people's material and using it as their own. So I think that's what it comes down to. Well, he doesn't like Coach K, so I don't like Coach K. I don't know. Look, my only opinion on Coach K, uh, years ago, we were in Cox Pavilion for a Team USA uh, uh, introduction, and he came over and did an interview with us. He was nice enough to do that, so I like the guy. All right. Not, not always the best, best way to, to judge no, but someone, I, but at, but least with, at least with your encounter, he wasn't a creep. No. He, you know, he, didn't have, he could have said no. He didn't know us from Adam. And uh, he came over and he sat down and did the interview. It was very cordial. And that's the only experience I have with him. I'm, I'm still glad UNLV beat him by 30 points 32 years ago. But I'm a UNLV fan, so, so I'm kind of biased as far as that goes. Look, he's had a, he had a great career. Um, did he do some things that were probably a little bit, uh, I'm not saying, not underhanded, but uh, uh, against the popular grain? Yeah, sure. If you're going to be a coach at some program for 40 years, you're probably going to do th- things that irritate some people so i far from a perfect individual but neither am i yeah and i get the vegas dislike of coach k you know the, the whole the fact that the unlv duke thing yeah there was portrayed as uh, put forth as good versus evil uh was annoying because uh, we know duke was probably more evil than unlv but unlv fans got annoyed by that but also on the flip side of it i'm not exactly sure what coach k was supposed to do in that narrative um Maybe he went along for the ride. Was he supposed to scream from the mountaintops like, we're bad too? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think he probably said at the time, hey, Tark's a great coach. But, like, coaches, maybe maybe I forget. I don't know, Dave. You, you tell me, was was Coach K, I, I don't feel like Coach K was out there 
lecturing people oh. on being good or bad in college basketball. Maybe I, maybe I forgot. I don't know. I don't have any recollection of that. I think it was more of a media creation where we were the bad guys and they were the good guys. Right. Um, I can't blame Coach K for that, and I can't buy him for going along for the ride. Because of what you just said, what's he supposed to do? Say, no, we're just as crappy as they are. Yeah. And believe me, the same thing developed early, like five or six years before, because Dean Smith got all pissed off. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, no, it wasn't five, six years before. It was just a couple years before. Dean Smith got all pissed off that uh, J.R. Reed was portrayed as, like, you know, the big, mean bully, and Leitner was the, the good guy. And then I think it was the Duke crowd that was – was chanting something about J.R. Reed and uh, academics. And Dean Smith actually went on record and was like, hey, he's a better student uh, coming in than Christian Leitner was. Like, okay. Yeah, oh. one of the, it's one of the fun things about rivalries. Yeah. And it was, it was maybe a little bit insulting to J.R. Reed, you know, the J.R. can't read signs. Right. That but, was it. Um, I think J.R. made out okay. I, I think he just let it roll off his shoulders and uh, was a complete professional. So and that's what fans do. It's part of the fun, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when you think back to those days, Dave, when, you know, when Vegas and UNLV in the early 90s, to be honest with you, I'm not sure Coach K had a reputation in any way, shape, or form anyway because he was just getting – I mean, that was when his, the dynasty began. So nobody – there wasn't really a this hatred other than, UN, other than Las Vegas when Duke knocked him out of the Final Four the next year in 91 – and then as things progress, and I really think that Coach K took on more of a more, you know, he carried more of the baggage toward the end of his career when, like veterans or or you know, experienced professionals in any profession, whether it's the media, whether it's coaching, whether it's you just kind of become cantankerous. There's been times where he sort of berated yeah. a, jour- a journalism <laughs> student, so on and so forth. But what are you talking mean, about? Dave, Dave's a veteran. He's, he's Dave, well, Dave, Dave's the most non-cantankerous guy we know. Oh, right. The bottom line is, <laughs> I think that he's carried that baggage more toward the end of his career than anything else outside of, you know, uh, Chapel Hill, Las Vegas, specific areas of rivals. But for the most part. All right. Let him know, answer. Like, let him answer. Uh, put it this way. Um, for me, the UNLV BYU rivalry. Was I? We had reason here in Las Vegas to not like BYU. Right. Um, so for me, that was a lot more real than anything between Coach K and and UNLV or Duke and UNLV. Right. Duke and UNLV would meet once in a blue moon in a real big game. BYU, we had to contend with every year in the Mountain West, and and that was not a friendly rivalry. I'll tell you one thing I didn't love about, and again, this is X's and O's on basketball, and I, I just talked about it twenty minutes ago. The one thing I didn't like was either Coach K not making it clear to his players that Paolo Bancaro, the best player on Duke, is far and above everyone else on the floor. Get him the freaking ball every time down the floor. And and to Bancaro, go, bro. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe it was the kid. But, uh, you know, I, I was surprised in Coach K's final go-around. I mean, this is it. You know you're walking away. Like, this is – if you if you want to have a guy, uh, you know, be a high-volume shooter and potentially take some bad shots with some good ones, you, you got to go with your guy in that game. Yeah, but you know what? What it really comes down to is Caleb Love. What are you going to do? <laughs> the guy's hitting from 30 feet. There's not much you can do. I mean, he just, he's been amazing in this tournament. Yep. Yep. He might be the difference again tonight because I think Kansas is better than North Carolina, but Caleb Love could be the deal breaker as far as that goes. He's having an incredible tournament. There's, 
I, I'm not sure I've, I've seen anybody whose stock has gone up more in recent years over a short span than Caleb Love. I agree with you. I think uh, Kansas could be 8 to 10 points better yeah. than North Carolina, especially with Carolina coming off a super emotional spot. But what if Love does go crazy and has 30? Yeah, I mean, if this thing's close at the end of the game, <laughs> give me Love. He's the best uh, player. He's, just in his, he's absolutely. He's the, he is the guy who's capable of taking over the game. I think Kansas wins, but I I, I feel so unconfident about it. I, I made it a one percent play, which is the smallest I can make a play. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I, I'm on Kansas, but uh, not for big money. Let's put it that way. WagerTalk.com is where Dave Coke and stuff is at. Uh, let's get into the Knights a little bit. How excited should we be with what they've done recently, especially with the fact that the other teams they're competing with for the wild card actually have a bunch of games that they still have to play. So like, where where are we right now with the Knights after this? I, I, I got to think that the Knights feel great about where they are now and so should their fan base. And they got some help yesterday, great win at Vancouver in overtime, and then Dallas goes and loses to Seattle. So that's like a four-point a four swing. I think they're going to make it. Um, they're playing with a lot of confidence. The goaltending is really firmed up because Thompson's done well, and now Leonard's back. And Dallas and Nashville are flawed enough so that I, I, I think the Golden Knights might just get there. And, and for the rest of the Western Conference, that's just what they don't want. Because if this team does get healthy at playoff time, I don't think anybody's really scared of Dallas or Nashville. I think a lot of teams could be scared of the Golden Knights. Dave, you know, you and I talked about this plenty of times on this show and on the Late Night Podcast when Flurry was still here, but with how hot Logan Thompson's been and Leonard just coming off, how do you see DeBoer playing out the rest of the regular season before he zeroes in on giving Leonard the job? Does, do, you, do, you, do you get Thompson in there a couple more times just sure, to make no, sure? Can, absolutely. You're not going to play Leonard every game um, because he's not exactly durable at this point. So I think they probably alternate down the stretch. The team has confidence in Thompson right now. And then come playoff time, I would expect that unless he can't do the job, Leonard probably becomes the number one goalie. But uh, yeah, it's nice to have two options at this point. Um, and, you know, on a league-wide standpoint, I, and I've really never noticed this, you, 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 you play hockey, you give out hockey. Over the last 11 days, the over has dominated, going 53, 24, and 12. Just in the last three days, 16, 8, and 1. Edmonton's gone over in, in their six games in the last 11 days. Is this normal toward the end of the season? We're seeing these teams as just this is where the offense comes out. Everyone's gunning for the playoff spot. No, I, I, I don't know because I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't do much with totals. Um, so I really can't say. You're, you're, and you're still playing now in this part. Do you still zero in on the first periods? How have your first periods been? Because you, you're the one that opened it, opened my eyes to first period wagering, and I've I, done more writing on first period wagering this season than I ever have. Yeah, I do more of that in the playoffs than okay. in the regular season. Um, but there are spots down the stretch where you might get a team that's looking to make a real big effort early on or catch a team flat, and in those situations, first period might not be a bad bet. Dave Cokins with us, wagertalk.com. Dave, a couple of baseball questions before we go out. Uh, first, how are you feeling about your Red Sox in terms of uh, season predictions? I think they're going to be okay. I mean, Cora, Cora runs a, a great clubhouse. That, that's really his strength. Um, a lot depends on Chris Sale. I mean, they do need him to get healthy. But I think it's a good lineup. 
The problem is there's three other good lineups in the division as well. So that's going to be a dogfight in the American League East. I think they're a playoff contender, um, but they're not, they're not the best team. Who's the best team in the East? I think it's got to be the, the Rays. Uh, Still? Yeah, I, and, and, I, and I'll put it on Wanda Franco. If you're looking for an MVP bet, I suppose Otani's got to be the favorite, but Franco is, geez, boy, what a gifted young player this guy is. So I think, I think the Blue Jays are right there, but um, the Rays and Kevin Cash find a way, and I think they're going to scratch and claw their way to 95 or more wins and, and, and sneak out with the division. All right. Uh, you're not playing fantasy baseball this year? What are you doing? What? Well, I, I, I might do a little traveling uh, uh, this summer. I want to take some road trips and uh, go see some ball games. And when I go on the road, I don't take a computer with me. So I'll take a phone and that's it. So I don't want the daily transaction hassle. And I uh, just decided, eh, you know what, I don't need to do this for a year. Another team season prognostication, especially since there's a tie to a local guy in Bryson Stott, depending on what happens to, with him at the beginning of the season and during the season. What do you think of the Phillies, 83-and-a-half? I don't trust them. On paper, on paper, they ought to be a winning team. But I don't know. I, I'm not a huge Girardi fan. And this team always finds a way to come up short. And I have a suspicion that they will again. Uh, the Marlins look like they might be decent. The Mets, who knows? I mean, the pitching. Uh, well, yep. Already, already with the Grom, and, and even Scherzer. And Scherzer, yep. Uh, and the Braves look like they're going to be very good. So the Phillies are going to have to prove it to me. I, I snuck out an overbet on them last year, barely. Uh, I'm not going to that well again. I, I have a feeling that while they look like they should be a very good team, the end of the season will come. They'll be around 500 again. Pod Squad pushing 90 on the total, 88 and a half, 89. They just picked up uh, Sean Manaya over the weekend. Yeah, for nothing. What uh, What do you think of their season, or is it a little unpredictable because of Tatis? I think the Tatis thing is huge, but what I really do like, I think Bob Melvin's a massive upgrade in the, in the dugout. This was not a well-managed team last year. Uh, if I don't know X's and O's in basketball, I do in baseball, and I was pull, or if I had here to pull out, uh, I would have been pulling it out on a nightly basis with some of the moves that were made by the Padres Brain Trust last year. I don't think you have to sweat that anymore with Melvin. He's one of the best in the business. So I think the Padres is going to be a pretty good team. And, I, you know, logically, there has to be some regression with the, with the Giants. They, they just can't be this good again. Right, right. So I think, I think the Padres have a very good chance to get to the playoffs. And last two on players, because I just mentioned fantasy Baseball, I took a chance on two guys at about three. I, I play auction league, so three-quarter of their normal price, maybe two-thirds of the normal price, will either – I know I'm going to get ripped on this one – will either Cody Bellinger or Christian Yelich get back to anywhere where they were a couple of years ago? There's nothing wrong with Yelich that, outside of the physical. Yeah. Um, but he's got back issues, and I, I those don't seem to go away. So I'd be worried about him. Uh-oh. Uh, Bellinger can't be this bad again. I just—it's unbelievable. I mean, he just can't be. And he but had a I bad he had a bad spring, and they're talking about he's finding his stance. Like what? What? What do you find the one that worked two years ago? Here's the thing: he tries to hit everything to Mars. Uh, and if you're not going well, that right. that isn't good. Um, I 
you know, even David Ortiz, as much of a dead pull hitter as he was, learned to go the opposite way late in his career because maybe the bat speed wasn't quite where it previously was. Bellinger seems one-dimensional. Everything is a launch. I think he's one of the guys who's really been hurt by launch angle mania, if you will. Got to use the whole field. And right now, he's not a very good hitter. Dave, have a good week. We'll talk to you. Excellent spot, okay? Thanks, guys. Take care. Good luck tonight. Dave Koken. Wagertalk.com. Wagertalk.com. We we get to football frenzy coming up. College football bowl projections this early? You bet your ass. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.